I want to begin this morning with a story about my wedding day. Oh, yes. So we were married, my wife and I, were married on a lake in northern Michigan. Uh, You see, Amanda's family has a cottage that's been a part of the family for generations and generations. And she always went out there all summer long when she was a child, just as her mother always went out there when she was a child all summer long. So you get the idea. It was a very special place to her. And given that my wife is from Nebraska and I'm from New York and we met in Minnesota, we kind of knew that there was no good place to have a wedding. So we might as well pick a spot that was meaningful and had a lot of family connections. So we gathered there on an August day in 2009, and it was a little bit rainy at first, kind of like this morning, although the sky did open up um, and was very sunny by the time of the ceremony. Uh, And as you might have guessed, I was very nervous on that day. Yes. And so I was worried about just having to be there and making sure I said the right things. And even though at that point in my life I had led many church services, I had never been the groom in a wedding. And so I was a little nervous. And one of the neat things, not only was this wedding taking place at a spot that was deeply meaningful for Amanda and her family, but we also were able to have so many of our family members involved in the service itself. Amanda's uncle is a Presbyterian pastor, so he was leading the ceremony. My father, you've seen him, you've met him. He's a Lutheran pastor, retired now. (laughs) And so he preached at our wedding. And then my grandfather was able to preside at communion at the wedding. So we had family involved in the whole entire piece of it. And there I was, before the service was about to begin, kind of just bouncing along, like waiting, again, nervous, very unsure about how this is all going to go. And I'm standing up there next to Amanda's uncle, who's going to be leading the service. And just as a way to say something and to kind of break the tension that I'm feeling, I turn to him and I say, so, any advice? (laughs) And he paused and he smiled and he kind of looked off into the distance. It was a very movie moment. And he turns to me and he says, just love each other. And I hold that with me. And I remember that each and every day of my married life. But I also think that it's really good advice for all of us as Christians to come back to each and every day. Because while this was Uncle Paul's advice to me on the wedding day, I think this is Jesus' advice to us pretty much every other day. I'd like to speak with you this morning about this very idea. We're going to be looking at John chapter 6. I changed things up on you for my last Sunday. John chapter 6, and I've titled this sermon, Just Love Each Other. Let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. If you would please rise as the gospel passage is read. This is John chapter 6, starting at verse 24, which I know is in the middle of a paragraph, but you'll see why we have to start there. So when the crowd saw 
that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give for you. For it is on him that God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to perform the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What sign are you going to give us then, so that we might see it and believe you? What work are you performing? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Church, this is the good news. It's the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Over the past two years, I have delivered nearly 100 sermons from this very pulpit. And in that time and over the course of those sermons, we've grown in our understanding of each other and our understanding of our God and our understanding of this funny thing called life, maybe just a little bit more. We've laughed together as I told you stories about my kids or as I tried to figure out how to give a proper Mother's Day sermon or as I tried to clap on beat. And we've eaten together. Oh, how we've eaten together. We've had fried chicken with hot sauce and potato salad and deviled eggs and chicken salad and mac and cheese and well, no wonder my pants don't fit quite like they used to. We've grown together, we've laughed together, we've eaten together and we've cried together too. As dreams have died, as loved ones have passed on, as tragedy and uncertainty and loss has filled our lives and our world. We've packed a lot in to the last two years. We've been through a lot, but part of what made it all work is that we went through it all together. And starting tomorrow, things are going to be a little different. And you might be feeling sad about these changes, or perhaps you're a bit confused, or maybe you're even a little bit angry. And that's okay. As I've told you many times in many sermons before, all of our emotions are acceptable in the eyes of God. And we have a responsibility to bring our real, raw emotions into that relationship with God. You're entitled to feel all of these things. But there's another emotion that's been creeping around here this past month. And it's very subtle and maybe not even something we consciously realize that's going on, but it's here. As we've all prepared for this day and the days that come after, I've noticed that one emotion seems to keep popping up. Fear. 
It's only natural. It happens at churches all the time. There can be lots of fear when a pastor leaves because it's a huge change for the congregation. Fear can spring up at other times too, right? Like when the boiler breaks or when the worship time moves or when the furniture gets rearranged or when the screens show up in worship. And while church can and should be a place for laughter and eating and crying and sadness and confusion and even anger, fear is not one of the emotions that has a place in church. As I've told you again and again over the last two years, the most common phrase in the entire Bible is, do not be afraid. Because fear doesn't fit with the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to heal illness and to calm storms and to cast out demons and to defeat death. And so that means that fear doesn't get to have a foothold. But it can be really difficult to keep these things in order because oftentimes fear is a very, very loud force in our lives. In fact, I've heard it said that fear is often louder than love. That's why people will whisper sweet nothings, but they'll yell things like, danger, danger, because fear is often louder than love. In our gospel passage this morning, the people who come to Jesus, they're coming to Jesus because they're afraid. And the fear is so loud for them that they are kind of completely missing the fact that the love of God incarnate is speaking directly to them. In our gospel, we hear about an encounter between Jesus and this crowd of people. It's a crowd of people who have followed Jesus to the other side of the lake, it says. And they have this great line. They show up at the other side of the lake where they know Jesus is. And they say, Rabbi, when did you come here? Because... It's basically like them saying, wait a second, how did this happen? What are the chances? But Jesus sees through it all. He sees this group that accidentally has run into him on the other side of the lake. And he can tell right away that these people are in deep need. You see this group that's stalking Jesus. They were a part of a crowd that had been fed by him during the feeding of the 5,000. That's where this group came from. These people talking to Jesus, they were there when he miraculously fed 5,000 people, not including women and children, with just a few fish and a couple of loaves of bread. And so Jesus sees exactly what this group is doing. They followed him across the lake because they want another free lunch. And Jesus calls them out on it. He says, very truly I tell you, You are looking for me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill from the loaves. Church, isn't that our story too? Do we come to church because the food is really good? Sometimes. Do we come to church because we like the way everything is going? Or because things are starting to look like they did years ago? We need to take a step back, friends. We need to take a step back and ask ourselves, are we coming to church just because we're searching for day-old bread? Could Jesus say to us, very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill from the loaves. Reformation, when we come to church, are we looking for Jesus or something else? I had a person 
who talked with me in the office a couple weeks back. And she was a little frustrated because she wants to come to church to be inspired and comforted and to grow in her faith. But she was saying, there just seems to be so much other stuff going on. And I had someone else come to my office a couple weeks back, and we were talking about a lot of the foolishness that we were seeing going on around here. And she said something very, very profound. She said to me, isn't anyone going to stick up for Jesus? And it seems to me, Reformation, that we've gotten into a bad habit. We are out here looking for day-old bread when all we really need is Jesus. The fear is causing us to lose focus on what is actually most important. Those people who went to Jesus on the other side of the lake that day, they were afraid. Afraid of not having enough food. Afraid of the oppressive Roman Empire. Afraid that this was all their life was ever going to be. A constant struggle of chasing after bread. But when they bump into Jesus, Jesus instantly perceives not only their longing for more free food, but also the deeper needs that lived below the surface. These people have come to him looking for day-old bread, but Jesus says to them very clearly, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. In other words, don't focus on the bread you ate yesterday. Don't focus on the past. Don't focus on your fear. Focus on the bread of life. Focus on the love and promises of Jesus because that is what will actually sustain you. I think churches often get these things confused. And we major in the minor details. As I told you last week, sometimes we get distracted by a little sleight of hand. I was at a church before here, Parkside Lutheran Church, Buffalo, New York, and as I've told you, we did a lot of work in that place trying to get our building used. We had this big, beautiful building that maybe 30 people came to on a Sunday morning, and then it sat dormant the rest of the week. It cost nearly $50,000 a year to heat the place. And so we had this big building that was just this giant museum that was picking away at our budget. And so some of us got to work on trying to rent the place out to be a community hub where things could happen. And as you might expect, what happened in some cases was people became very upset. The building that they spent one hour a week in every single Sunday shouldn't have all this other stuff going on. It might do damage to the building. There might be more wear and tear on the place. We might end up having people come through here who who then don't come on Sunday morning. And so there was a lot of fighting and a lot of bickering about these issues. But I said to them, are we just looking for day-old bread? Are we focusing on a building when in fact we are supposed to be followers of Jesus? opening our doors to everyone, extending love and mercy and grace and hospitality to whoever might have need. Eventually, we got on board with this when we refocused ourselves on what was actually most important. We go chasing after day-old bread all the time. We put all our focus on a building or an institution or a style of worship, but that's never going to work 
We have to focus on Jesus. We have been given the bread of life. And so I don't understand why we continue to go chasing after anything else. I get it, though. I get it. Sometimes it is hard to focus on Jesus. Sometimes you search and you search and you finally find a church that seems welcoming and warm and like a place where you could really raise your family. And so you go through all the trouble of joining this congregation and then not long after that, the pastor says he's leaving. And you're not thinking about Jesus at that moment. You're just sad or afraid or resentful. And sometimes you wait for years for a new pastor to arrive. And then he shows up out of nowhere and it seems like a good fit and old members start coming back and kids' programs start back up and it seems like everything is just moving along, right? And then he says he's leaving. And you get angry and you get sad. And so you start to look for someone to blame or something to blame because it just doesn't make any sense and this has all got to be someone's fault. But when you do that, church, are you focused on Jesus? Are you just focused on the bread that's now a day old that you wish would come back? You see, church, while we have had our fair share of bread and excitement and goodness over the last two years, it's coming to an end. And that's hard to accept, but it doesn't change the fact that the bread of life is still here. As I've been saying, I think it's fear that gets us off track a lot of the times because fear can be a very, very, very loud force. And I think it's most often our fear that causes us to look for day-old bread rather than remaining focused on the bread of life. Fear can often seem louder than the love that Jesus is trying to share. But you know what? While fear might be louder... Love is always stronger. I know this personally. Growing up, whenever a noise scared me at night, whenever startling images from a movie stuck with me, whenever I was nervous about a test or a conflict at school, it was my parents' love that would comfort me and sustain me and get me through those times and trials of boyhood. And I'm still humbled when I think about all the unconditional love that I've seen from my wife and my kids. No one here knows this, but I'll share it with you now. Over the last year, I've been battling depression. And it's been really difficult at times. And I've always managed to put on a good face for you all, I think, on Sunday morning. But uh, you just need to know that wasn't always how I felt. And I've been getting a lot of help, and things have been going good. But I'm just so grateful for the ways that my kids and especially my wife, have loved me and supported me even when I was at my absolute lowest. And I bet if you take a good hard look at your life, you'll see that this is true for you as well. You'll notice that at those moments when the fear was so loud you needed earplugs, somewhere along the way there was a quiet, persistent voice of love guiding you through your darkest hour. Maybe it was a friend or a family member or a book or a Facebook post or a sermon. A guy can hope. But the truth is, 
While fear can be louder than love, love is always, always, always stronger than fear. Over the past two years, Reformation, our best moments together were the time, weren't the times when I did something new and innovative on social media. Our best moments were those times when we let love lead. When we sent cards and stopped by with food at each other's houses after a family member passed away. When we encouraged and uplifted our youth by giving them leadership within the church service or a room that's all their own. When we gave blood or packed backpacks or put together Thanksgiving baskets for those in need. Those were our best moments. Because they were moments guided by love. Moments focused on loving and caring for others rather than some other nonsense. And those moments can absolutely continue even as I'm not here. Reformation Lutheran Church has not lasted this long because the building is really nice or because the choir once sang in Germany or because the food is always on point or because the pastor can do magic tricks. Churches like this one are sustained by love, by the grace and love of God in Christ Jesus. When those crowds in the gospel passage came to Jesus looking for yesterday's bread, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. It was fear that brought those people to Jesus. But what they didn't realize was that the eternal, everlasting love of God, the cure for all their fear, was sitting right in front of them. And this eternal, everlasting love, this bread of life, this cure for all our fear, it's sitting right in front of you as well. Even though your pastor's leaving, the love of Christ is still here in this place. The love of Jesus Christ is still given for you and shed for you, and it will sustain you so that you'll never be hungry or afraid again. I want to close with a story. There's a scene in the movie Toy Story, hear me out, where Buzz Lightyear hasn't yet become self-aware. He's this space toy, and he thinks that he's Buzz Lightyear from Star Command. And so Woody, the toy cowboy, is continually trying to wake him up and help him understand his situation. He keeps saying, Buzz, you are a toy! You are a child plaything! And I heard a pastor say once that sometimes he'd like to yell this at his church. He wants to remind them, you are a church! Because our fear distracts us from this truth. I've seen a lot of churches out there that think they're a daycare center or a concert hall or a dinner theater or a historic museum or a social club. But you're not any of those things, are you, Reformation? You are a church. And a good one at that. And the church's only job is to love. You're a church, Reformation. And so you're called to love each other. Even when it's hard. Even when things aren't going your way. Even when you're afraid. You're a church that gathers together around the bread of life and the love of Jesus. So stop chasing after day-old bread. Focus on Jesus. Because he's the only reason we're here. And he's the only way you'll move forward. Jesus is never going to stop loving you. And so, as the pastor said to me on my wedding day, I say to you now, just love each other. Just love each other. Because that's what church is all about. Amen.